Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning services to you each and every week. We are currently in our sermon series, Stories of Christmas. In this series, we are walking through Luke 2 and the stories of different people who played a role in the Christmas story. From Mary and Joseph to the shepherds and the Magi, each of these stories will culminate in the birth of Jesus. So join us as we share the stories of Christmas. Well, let me say again to each and every one of you, good morning and welcome to Rolling Hills. My name is Jason, for those of you who have not had a chance to meet yet, and I get the privilege of serving as the campus pastor here at our Nolensville campus. And before we go any further in our service today, I don't know about you, but I come into this place today with lots of emotions, and so one of which is joy for all that's happening, but I also come to, in this place today, heartbroken over what's happened in uh, the last 24 hours in Middle Tennessee and Clarksville and Hendersonville and Madison uh, with these tornadoes that have made the way through our area. And, um, you know, I don't think that we can ever um, assemble in a place like this knowing that there are people in our own community that are struggling and that are hurting without stopping to um, thank God for His provision for us and for His protection for us while also being very mindful of those that are hurting and those that are in a really difficult season. As the sun rose this morning and lots of people were looking for the first time to see what had happened to their businesses and what had happened to their homes. Uh, I've heard reports already this morning of numerous churches in Hendersonville and Madison that have either been destroyed or where they couldn't even meet today. And uh, that hurts your heart, and it um, is something that I know when you hear those moments and hear those uh, stories, uh, it compels you as well to say, Lord, please be so close uh, to those that are having a difficult time this morning. And so we want you to be aware of uh, some things that will be kind of uh, rolled out this week, some ways that you can help, some ways that you can get plugged in, some ways that you can support what's happening uh, with disaster relief efforts in uh, the Middle Tennessee area. So be sure to check out our website and uh, social media pages here this week uh, to find some more information about that. But we do want to just take a moment this morning and pray. Um, I believe that the most important thing that we can do is pray for God's nearness and his closeness to those that are uh, going through a difficult season. And so will you join me this morning in praying uh, for those who are hurting this morning, praying for those families that have lost loved ones, uh, praying for those uh, business owners, praying for those churches, and just praying for people that are really having a hard time this morning. And uh, will you join me in asking God to be very close and very near to them today? So Lord, thank you for this morning. We have assembled together today, God, with the joy of the Lord. But we also know that... um, Even in our joy and even in our um, uh, emotions this morning, God, we we feel the sadness and we feel the hurt and we feel the brokenness for uh, those in Clarksville and Madison and Hendersonville that have lost family members, that have lost homes, that have lost churches, that have lost businesses. And so, God, we do pray that you would be so incredibly close to these families God, we know that you are not far away. Even as we're celebrating this Christmas season, God, you came close to us. And so we pray that that truth would be just pervasive in the life of these families that are struggling this morning. God, help them to realize how close you are to them. And I pray that all of us would be compelled to not only pray, but to serve and to make a difference and to find ways to shoulder the responsibilities and to shoulder the burdens of those around us who are hurting. And so, God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your protection and your provision for us here in Nolansville. And we thank you, God, for what you're going to do today as we just seek to make ourselves available to you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and we give this day to you. Amen and amen. 
Thank you guys so much for uh, just your support, and thank you so much for being a part, for being a church that loves the community, and for being a church that cares about the needs of others. And so we certainly will keep you informed about ways that we can continue to be a part of what God is doing and helping some of those who are hurting and helping provide some of those needs. So just be sure to check in with us, and we'd love to share uh, more and more ways for you to do that. Now, I'm excited about this Christmas season, aren't you? I I love Christmas. Sometimes people say it's the most wonderful time of the year, and people say that tongue-in-cheek, but I really believe it. I I love it. It's such a fun season. It's obviously a busy season, but it's also a season that's filled with so much joy. And as your pastor, I love the opportunities that I have to stand in front of you and open up God's Word and to share in these incredible stories, the incredible story, I should say, of God sending His Son, Jesus, to earth uh, as a baby and Emmanuel, God with us, and he lived the sinless life. And 33 years later, he was put to death so that our sins could be taken away and that our forevers could be changed. And throughout this series, the stories of Christmas, we have been looking at some of the known characters in the, uh, the nativity story and, and seeing what do we learn from their perspective? What can we see from the angle of which with they lived and their part in this story? And two weeks ago, we started with Mary. And obviously, Mary is such a crucial part of the story, how she faithfully listened to God. And God placed a call upon Mary's life that was beyond what was even humanly possible, and she was faithful to that. And last week, we set our sights on Joseph, uh, and we gave Joseph a little more credit than we have given him in the past, because sometimes Joseph has been this guy that we just put in the nativity story, and we're like, well, they had to go to Bethlehem because of him. But he was also the earthly father of Jesus, and he made so many sacrifices, and he lived a life of humility. And today we set our sights not on a person per se, but on a group of people. And this is a group of people that we tend to know a little bit more about, but sometimes we don't take the time to understand just how significant their part in the story is and what we can learn from the way that they chose to be obedient and for what God was doing in their lives. And so I want you to complete the following phrase for me this morning. This is crowd interaction, okay? I think you're going to know this. This is really, really easy. So I want to give you a phrase, and I want you to fill in the blank for me. If it sounds too good to be true... Good job. You guys are awesome. Okay, you knew that one, right? I'm going to stay right there. That was great. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Has that ever been your experience? That has been my experience in life on more times than I can count. Maybe you have had someone who gave you a free code, and they were like, this is going to get you something for free. Just enter it into that box on uh, the application page, and you're thinking to yourself, it wasn't that easy. And I ended up having to pay some money. Or maybe you've had a customer service agent that says, I'm going to transfer you to someone else, and they're going to be able to precisely take care of the situation that you need. And you realize the moment that transfer happens, you're going nowhere quickly. And they said this would be easy, but it's not easy. Or a company will tell you, you know, just download this app, download this rewards program. It's going to be so simple. We'll give you all these free things. And you're thinking to yourself, I've got to change my password like every six minutes. And... This is just not as simple as they said it was going to be. But do you know in the Bible, there are some moments, actually many moments, that we read that probably fall under this umbrella of, that almost sounds too good to be true. It sounds too good to be true. So it it can't be true. But in reality, what's on display in this Christmas story is this message that at first reading, it almost sounds too good to be true. That God did for us what we can never do for ourselves, And then when you look at these characters specifically, and when you look at the ways that they were faithful to God's plan for their life, and this beautiful response of obedience and faithfulness that they had, sometimes we wonder, 
why was that the plan that God had? What was God trying to show me in and through that that almost sounds too good to be true, but it isn't. It's so relevant, and it's so good for where all of us have found ourselves this morning. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. You're going to see these words up here on the screen as well. Luke chapter 2, starting in verses 8 down through 20. And you're going to be introduced to a group known as the shepherds. And we're going to see what we can learn from their response, from the way that they chose to respond to Jesus and to this proclamation that the angels gave them. And so starting in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. So we're told here in this nativity account that at the same time Jesus was born in a manger, at the same time concurrently shepherds were living in fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And so this is about a five to six mile distance from where Jesus is born in the manger, that these shepherds are keeping watch over their flocks by night. They're doing what shepherds do, keeping an eye on their sheep. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an angel appears, and this angel does what angels always do, terrifies people. And this angel shows up very uh, terrifyingly, if you will, and says, don't be afraid. Every time we appear, we're scary, but don't be afraid because I'm bringing you good news. And this good news is that a Savior has been born right down the road, and we want you to know about it first. And the angel says to the shepherds, I am going to give you a sign just so you will know what is going on. This is the sign for you. When you go, you will find a baby in a manger. And upon this proclamation of that sign, a greater company, a greater multitude of heavenly hosts, this large multitude of angels comes appearing, worshiping God and saying, you know, glory to God in the highest. And then they all disappear and the shepherds are sitting there with their sheep. And they think to themselves, what do we do now? And so they do what hopefully all of us would do when we receive this beautiful encounter and this beautiful moment from God. They leave that field and they hurry off and they find Mary and they find Joseph and they find the baby exactly as the angel had proclaimed. And then after they were there present, they return back to their fields and we're told in scripture that they become the first recorded evangelist of Jesus's birth. The first recorded group of people that start telling everybody what's going on and what God has done in and through this baby Jesus, they say, you have to go see what has happened as well. So what seems too good to be true about this story? 
Well, what seems too good to be true about this story for me is that these are the people that God would choose to make his proclamation known to first. That God would choose to reveal his glory and to reveal his son being born in a manger to this group of shepherds. Because when you start with the shepherds, you realize just how significant this is. Randy Alcorn has some really interesting insight into this, and he says that in the days of Jesus, shepherds actually stood on the bottom rung of society. Shepherds were on the bottom rung of society. Uh, Shepherding used to be a much more noble career. Back in the Old Testament story, shepherds were held in much higher regard than they were in the New Testament. It had lost its appeal. In fact, if you were raising sheep around Jerusalem, in fact, probably what was happening with those sheep is those sheep were being bought by people who were entering the temple to make sacrifices because sheep were used as a sacrifice to God. And so these shepherds would have raised these sheep that would have been sacrificed in the temple. But do you know that a shepherd would not have been allowed to go in the temple himself? He would have been considered unclean. So he could raise sheep that others could sacrifice, but he couldn't get close to the temple himself. And so these are not what I would call upstanding members of the community. In fact, these are people who the world would have looked down upon. These are people who are just very normal. In fact, kind of a lower class of people. And they're mentioned as the first ones to receive the proclamation of the birth of Jesus. Now, in contrast to the shepherds, there were religious leaders of the day who were the upper crust of society. There were royals, there were religious leaders who were considered untouchable by the rest of the society, and not in a bad way, but untouchable in that we never question them. And they have such a place of high regard. But who's mentioned first in receiving the proclamation of the birth of Jesus? It's not the royals. It's not the kings. It's not the upper echelon of society. It's the shepherds. It's not the rich. It's not the wealthy. It's a despised group of society. And when you read this story, I hope that you think that this is not random (laughs) because it is far from random, but rather this is super intentional. This is God showing us his plan for all of humanity. God is coming down through his son Jesus, and he is going to the lowest of the low first. And we should not think that that's by accident. In fact, we really shouldn't be surprised by this at all because, see, God is in control of everything, isn't he? God is in control of everything. He could orchestrate things however he wanted to orchestrate them. For instance, when that decree was issued by Caesar that there had to be a census and that people had to travel to their hometown, which caused Mary and Joseph to have to travel 90 miles to Bethlehem, And they found that there was no room for them in the end. And sometimes we read this story and we think, oh, that is so sad that there was no room for them in the end, which it is. But in God's providence, in God's sovereign plan, don't you think he could have provided a room for them if he wanted to? In God's all-knowing nature, he could have literally created a well-staffed hotel out of the earth (laughs) for them to be able to find room in the end. But that was not his plan. The birth of Jesus was not random. The birth of Jesus shouldn't surprise us. This was God's plan. Mary and Joseph, the lowest of the low, to find a space that no one would want to bring the Savior of the world into the earth. What is the message that Jesus is trying to accomplish? What is the message that God is showing us through his son, Jesus? He's showing us his purpose, and his purpose is, is I want to find you in your lowest point. God intended it this way so that the royals 
and the kings and all of the upper crust of society would know that Jesus came to be a servant of all. And he came to be the lowest of low so that he could do for us what we can never do for ourselves. This birth announcement of Jesus was first proclaimed to outsiders. And if you've ever had a season of your life that you have felt like you're an outsider, you are in great company in the Bible. Some of you may be in this place right now and you may think to yourself, I feel like an outsider. Or maybe you're saying to yourself right now, nobody notices me. I don't feel good enough. I have a really checkered past. In fact, if you knew the things that I had gone through, you would probably think I'm not even welcome in the church. But if you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear this. In fact, if you need to tune out for the next 20 minutes, that's fine. Just don't miss this. And you see it here on your notes. You may feel like an outsider, but you are not an outsider to Jesus. You may feel like an outsider at times, but you are not an outsider to Jesus. None of us, none of you are too far gone or too despised, or too low for Jesus. Maybe you look at your life and you think to yourself, man, all I feel about my life is shame. I I feel so uh, dirty. I feel so degraded. I feel like everybody else has their life together, and I am just over here struggling. You may feel that shame. You may feel that anxiety. Know that it is not coincidental that God wanted the first people to know about his son being born were the very people who would have never even been welcomed into the temple. In fact, if there was a royal first birthday party for the king of the days, uh, the shepherds would not have been invited to the first birthday party of the royal children. But interestingly enough, they were invited into the delivery stable of the Savior. How cool is that? They couldn't have gone to the first birthday party, but the angels are like, oh, do you want to come and see this baby in the newborn manger? You are welcome before anybody else. See, that is so significant. It underscores for us the power of the gospel. And it underscores for us the way that Jesus alone can change us. And he can change our forevers. And he can change the forevers of your friends who are struggling. This proclamation was a reminder as well for what Jesus can do in our lives and what Jesus wants to accomplish in our life. Because as we've already mentioned this morning, this angelic proclamation was pretty (laughs) fear-inducing to these shepherds who are just out keeping watch over their flocks by night. If you head back to the text, verse 9 and 10, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. So the angel says to them, You don't have to be afraid because of this good news that I am sharing with you, and this good news will bring great joy to your life because joy is God's purpose. Joy is God's purpose. It's interesting to me, though, that when the angel comes and follows up with this do not be afraid, that what was to follow to complete the clause was because I'll bring you great joy. I find that kind of shocking in the best of ways because in my common sense mind, if the angel is going to come and say do not be afraid, then it would make sense that he would follow it up with take great courage. Do not be afraid. Take great courage. Because if you go to a thesaurus or a dictionary and you look the word fear up, what you often find as the number one opposite or the antonym of fear is courage, not joy. We don't often think about joy being the opposite of fear because joy really isn't the opposite of fear. And that's what makes this so profound because the angel says, don't be afraid because this news leads to great joy. 
The world says you can be courageous in the face of fear. But you know, it's only Jesus who says, I want to replace your fear with joy. Only Jesus can replace fear with joy. It's only Jesus who says in the midst of your fear, you can have joy because it's the purpose of God. Joy is God's purpose for you. And that joy, not happiness, but that joy can only come from God. And it's God showing you and showing me that we're not defined by our circumstances. And it's that joy that shows us where God says, you know what, the sickness and the brokenness and the loneliness and the pain that you're enduring, the struggles that you're going through, all of the things that are weighing so heavily on your shoulders right now, all that fear that you're entrapped under, that can be replaced with joy. It's that deep abiding joy that surpasses how I feel or how I think about a situation, or what I think I am worthy of. See, that is what Jesus has done for you, and he's trying to get these shepherds to understand all the fear that you feel in this moment. It's not just going to be replaced with courage, but it's going to be replaced with joy because of what you are about to see. And I'm going to give you a sign, and you're going to see this with your own eyes. This will be your sign that fear can be replaced with joy. Back to verse 12. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This will be your affirmation. You're going to make that five-mile journey, and this amazing thing that has happened has taken place in a manger. So go see it for yourself. Now, I want you to try to put yourself in this first century context. A, I'm afraid and my mind has been blown by this multitude of heavenly hosts who has come. And lest you forget how we paint angels, that is not what they were like in Scripture. They were not floating around on clouds eating cream cheese. It is just not. They were scary and fear-inducing. But God was saying, you can have this fear replaced with joy. And go, make the journey, and you're going to see a sign. And when you get there, you're going to find a baby in a feeding trough, which they would have been very familiar with as animal keepers. The Savior will be in this feeding trough, and this proclamation, it tells us in Scripture, this proclamation actually then caused heaven to burst forth so that multiple angels have now started praising God for His glory. And they've praised God, saying in verse 14, and this is again the multitude of heavenly hosts, they're saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. These angels say, peace to all of those on whom the favor of God rests. Now, if you're comfortable underlining in your Bible, or you maybe want to highlight in your Bible app, highlight that phrase, whom his favor rests. And maybe your translation would say, pleased, who God is well pleased with, whom his favor rests, or who he is pleased with, depending on your translation. And according to this verse of scripture, the angels are proclaiming glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels are very clearly saying that there is someone or there are groups of people with which the favor of God is resting upon. Peace to whom his favor rest. If you go back to the Greek language, which the uh, New Testament was written in Greek, and it was translated over into English, and when you translate some of these words over, we miss a little bit of the meaning when we look at them in English, but if you look at that Greek word, it's eudokia, eudokia, which is literally translated into English, well-pleased. This is God saying that there are people who my favor rests upon, of whom I am well-pleased, 
please. And that phrase is used only a couple of times in the New Testament, and it's used only one other time in the book of Luke. So you know we're going to go there and read it, right? (laughs) Because it's used only one other time in the book of Luke. And when you go look at this other account, you begin to understand a little bit clearly, or more clearly, I should say, about who the favor of God rests upon. So scroll with me over to Luke chapter 10, verses 21 through 24. And this comes at a time when Jesus is an adult, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he's revealing to them what God is showing him and and, and who the Lord is really making himself known to. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, at the same time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that have seen what you have seen, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says there in verse 24, There are many kings... And there are many prophets who have wanted to see what you have seen. They have wanted to hear what you have heard. They've wanted to see the miracles. They've wanted to see the signs. They've wanted to see the awe and wonder. But those things have been hidden from them. And then when you go back to verse 21, at the same time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. This is what you were pleased to do. Does anybody want to take a guess as to what the Greek word there is for this is what you were pleased to do? It's eudokia. It's the same word that's used over in chapter 2. In chapter 2, the angels are saying, Glory to God on whom his favor rests, eudokia. In chapter 10, verse 21, he's saying, This is what the Lord has pleased to do. He has not made himself known to the kings. He has not made himself known to the wise. He has not made himself known to the learned, if you will. But he has made himself known to children. And he has made himself known to the lowly. He has made himself known to the despised. It's the exact same word. His favor came to rest on the shepherds. His favor came to rest on the children. His favor came to rest on the poor. His favor came to rest on the broken. His favor came to rest on the despised. And what does the angel say to this despised group of people? He says, this will be the sign to you. You will find him born, not in a palace, but you will find him born in a manger. So what should our takeaway point be from this? Very clearly, all throughout Scripture, you see this. God is pleased with the lowly and humble. God is pleased with the lowly and the humble. All of Scripture points to this incredible truth. And this is pretty convicting, is it? Because some of us consider ourselves pretty wise. (laughs) Some of us consider ourselves together. We've got it figured out. We know what's going on. We're smart. I got a lot of letters after my name, so I'm really smart. And I've been doing this for a long time. And I'm the CEO. I'm the executive. I'm the president. I've got a really, you know, stealthy bank account. We have got this figured out. But in reality... 
sometimes we miss the things that God is wanting to show us. And it's entirely possible that there are some things that are hidden from us because we have chosen to not be lowly. And there's some things that are hidden from us because we've chosen to not be humble, if you will. I don't know about you, but it's been my experience that some of the people with the strongest faith stories are the people that the world would look at the lowliest. I get a privilege every year to go down to the Amazon to work with our pastors with Justice and Mercy International, the nonprofit that our church helped start several years ago. And when I'm sitting face-to-face with these Amazon pastors who have so little, I walk away thinking to myself, my life is a failure. My faith is so minuscule compared to these men and women because they have this this faith experience where they literally trust God for their daily bread. And they trust God for the provision of all of their needs. And God is pleased with our response when we say, you know what, I'm going to start from a place of humility, opposed to a place of hear me roar because I am awesome. And in all reality, this can be a struggle for us. And this tends to be a struggle for us when we have a lot. And I don't know if you've checked this or not, but we are people who have a lot. We are people of affluence. We are people of influence. And you may not think that you are, but just by proxy of where you are, did you know that you're in the top 2% of wealthiest people on the globe? Top 2% of wealthiest people on the entire globe, meaning that we, we have means and we have a lot. Whether we see it that way or not, but sometimes it is that excess that makes it challenging for us to be humble. It's that excess that sometimes can even cause us to be entitled. But I want to encourage you to wake up every morning and say, it doesn't really matter how much I have or how little or how much I have. What's most important is I want to start my, my, I want to start my day of starting from a place of humility and to say, you know what, I want to be lowly. That doesn't mean that you have to sell everything that you have, but I want my heart and I want my posture to be lowly. And I want my posture to be from a place of humility because God has made it so abundantly clear that that favor rests upon not the wise from the world standards, but the lowly. And a practical affirmation of that is this invitation, this invitation for the shepherds to come to the manger. Take note of that. This is God showing us this in its truest practical form. Back to the text in Luke chapter 2, verse 15. So they hear this proclamation, and the angels left, or when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all that heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Don't you love this? The shepherds immediately respond to this proclamation from the angels. And they say, let's go see this thing that has happened. And they hurry off. They don't contemplate. They don't think about it. They went, and they were amazed. So much so that it says they were amazed by this, that they started then proclaiming this truth to those who they were journeying back with and those who they were meeting on the road. They said, you have to go see. You have to hear about what God has done through sending his son, Jesus. Now, how do you know that you've really been impacted by something? We've really been impacted by something as an affirmation, just like the shepherds were. You and I have really been impacted by something when our life has changed. You want to share it with other people. You see here on your notes, but a true encounter with Jesus will change your life like nothing else ever can or will. 
This true encounter with Jesus will change your life like nothing else ever can or will. And it says in verse 20 that the shepherds returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and all the things that they had been told. They praised God because they had this encounter with Jesus. They were invited by the angels to witness the glory of God on display, His glory coming down low for the lowly. And this changed them. And I hope and pray when we realize that in our own life that it will change us too. When we realize what this season is really all about, God making a way for us to be made right. It's the power of the gospel. When we begin to understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we realize the change that that brings to us. Because nothing can change you like Jesus. No educational background, no degree, no political ideology, no personality test. Only Jesus can change your life forever. So how about you? The question that I want to leave you with today is, what then prevents you from trusting and sharing Jesus like the shepherds did? What prevents you, what prevents me from trusting Jesus and sharing Jesus like the shepherds did? I can see it in some of your faces. Some of you are saying, you know what, I would respond if God sent a multitude of angels to me. If God sent a multitude of angels to me, I would respond, okay, would you really? So these six lines, these six lines would would cause you to respond, okay, well, what do we have that the shepherds didn't have? Where do I start? They have six lines from the angels. What do we have? We have the entire story of Jesus in its fullness. We have the birth. We have the life. We have the death. We have the resurrection. We have the miracles. Remember that moment when Jesus turned water into wine? Remember that moment when he took a little boy's lunch and he fed thousands of people with it? Remember that moment that he raised Lazarus from the dead? We also have the Holy Spirit, who is the guide and the counselor for us. Plus, we have 66 books of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, that is the inspired word of God that is fruitful for everything in our life. We also have the church and the history of the church standing the test of time because the gates of hell do not prevail against the power of the church. But if I had six lines from an angel, I would respond. When in reality, we've been given so much more. We've been given more than six lines. We've been given the full picture, the full story. And so I believe that what prevents us from responding is not necessarily a lack of information. What prevents me from responding to Jesus is not a lack of information. What prevents me from responding is a lack of dependency and a lack of humility. And I don't know about you, but I want to live my life to say, you know what, I want to be more and more desperate for God. It terrifies me in my life to think about the times that I have taken control and I've tried to write my story and I've tried to write the story the way that I think it should go when in reality, God says, I want you to depend on me for your daily bread and to depend on me to be your everything because it's so easy for us to depend on ourselves, isn't it? But this beautiful story is to remind us that we are to be dependent on God because he finds us when we are at our lowest. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that you would very passionately and very humbly be able to say, God, I need you. I need you now. I need you. It's easy to live lives like we don't need him, but this Christmas, may we be in awe and wonder of him. 
And may we be in a desperate need to say, God, I want to stand in amazement of what you have done. And may this serve as a stark reminder to you that God sought you out. It's not by accident. It's not coincidence. God's favor seeks you out. And God's favor rests upon the lowly and rests upon the humble in heart. God is here. And God wants to meet with you today. And God has reminded you and wants to remind you through the power of the Holy Spirit how much he loves you and that he is for you. And that this season is all about reminding and being cognizant of the fact that God sent his son Jesus so that we could have life. And he sent his son into a world that was broken. He sent his son into a world that was sinful. And he sent his son into a world that would crucify him. And that precious blood would pour out so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. And so my hope and my prayer is that you've experienced that good news of Jesus Christ, because that good news, it brings great joy to our lives. And I pray that you're resting in the joy of Christ today, and that this season is all about magnifying Him and making much of Him. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you're subscribed and get notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.